0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. In other words, do I start with the guy who won, or do I start with the guy who finished second? And I think what I'm going to do is what nobody else is doing and start with the guy who won. Because while there might not be a better story than Tiger Woods yesterday, there is no better player right now than Brooks Kepka. And if you did not know that before, you know it now overlook Kepka, and pretty much everybody is right now. Do it at your own risk, and know this. This guy loves it. He lives for it. It's rocket fuel for him. He wants you to do it. Tiger is getting a hell of a lot more run this morning than Kepka. and you know Brooks is all about that. As I tweeted last night, Woods will get all that run, and then Kepka will come out of that major with an even bigger chip on his shoulder than the one he had going into it. You know, the guy who's won two of the last three majors. The guy who's won three of the last six that he's played in. The guy who was about to win the Player of the Year Award in a year when he wasn't even sure that he'd be able to play because of a wrist injury. The guy who went from one PGA Tour win to a member of the Hall of Fame in the last 14 months. That guy. And it's a guy who runs on the craziest fuel ever. This is the same guy that was pissed at the U.S. Open when the Golf Channel did not include his score on a list of, quote, notables. And he was on fire Thursday after nobody wanted to talk to him after his first round. And as he said after the third round, he was bummed after people ignored him and focused on Dustin Johnson at the gym on Saturday. He said, quote, I use it as motivation. Hell yes, he does. And here's more truth from Brooks. Quote, you can't hide when you're at the top of the leaderboard. You can't hide my name. End quote. So what this guy is saying is what I've said all along. He is the walking, talking, living, breathing embodiment of leaderboard. Look up at it listen, this is not the guy most people root for. He's not the guy who anybody wanted to win yesterday. He knows that. He feeds off that. He's not only the most overlooked guy in his own sport, he's one of the most overlooked guys in any sport ever. And let's get one more thing out of the way about this guy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you're only focused on this guy's arms and his drives and how much he benches... You're focused on the wrong thing because Kepka is not one of those lunatics that you see on the longest drive competition reruns. This guy's got the whole package. I mean, yeah, he can bomb it. Like he did with that 330-yard drive on 15. But it was just as much about his putt on 15 as it was that drive. And it was just as much about the fact that he chased it with a perfect tee shot on 16 that stopped within six feet of the cup for another birdie to slam the door on the rest of the field. It's not about how big this guy's guns are. It's about the fact that the bigger the stage, the better this dude plays. The higher the stakes, the more unbeatable he is. And yesterday, yesterday was as much about what led to that door slam as the slam itself. Because Kepka had looks to end it earlier and he didn't do it. He had a number of birdie looks that did not go. And for most golfers, panic would have set in, especially when Tiger birdied 15 and the world nearly lost its mind. I mean, it's one thing to keep calm on the back nine of a major on a Sunday. It's quite another to do it when Tiger is doing what Tiger did yesterday and the entire world is freaking out over it. The roars were epic. It would have brought most other guys to their knees. But Kepka, man, this cat didn't even blink. He birdies 15 himself, then he chases it with another. Didn't panic when the putts weren't falling, and then dropped them when he had to have them. I mean, this dude is clutch. This dude is calm. And yes, there was that drive on 18 also. A little bit of cut.
1: It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just gone. My goodness. It's just gone. (laughs)
0: Pug. I mean, you check that reaction. I mean, there were like no words, no words, just silence. This guy's firing rockets like that, the kind that you dream about hitting on the range. But this guy's doing it on the 72nd hole of a major. After the round, Tiger kept talking about Kepka's driving distance, 340 in the air, 340 in the air. And that's pretty much all you can do when you watch a guy like that dominate in pressure situations like that. I'd ask if this guy had a pulse, but I know the answer. He doesn't. You can't if you're going to rip this title with Tiger and Adam Scott right behind you. Now, the cliche would be to say that the best part of Kepka's game isn't his driver, it's his mind. But it's true. It really is. Because when the pressure is at its highest, this guy's at his best. Stone cold, locked in. He went out and played yesterday like he was losing, even though he was winning. He even tapped in quickly and finished before playing partner Adam Scott on 18 and then had next to no reaction whatsoever. Like he expected it because he did. And now the rest of you should too. You should also expect that he's going to notice all the run that Tiger is getting out of this. Like, for instance, he was respectful of Tiger and he hyped him, but don't get it twisted. Kepka will notice. And somehow he'll not only come out of yesterday with a massive trophy – but an even bigger chip on his shoulder. Think about that for a minute. A guy who's won three majors in 14 months, and he's going to be more motivated than ever. Look the hell out. Again, Tiger is the better story. Kepka is the better player. And everybody else out there is now looking up at this dude because this guy's a monster. A monster. Three majors, 14 months, 28 years of age. From one win to the Hall of Fame in less than a year and a half. Now, as far as Tiger, I need more time for this, but I was really impressed. I really like what I saw from him. I never thought that guy would be in this position ever again, and there he is. Here he is. Here we are. are. I'm not saying it's a question of if rather than a matter of when, but maybe. Maybe. Never thought that I would see this guy in this position, and it was pretty cool to see. Pretty awesome to see. 1-800-636-8686. It, but duly note this, if you would, I started with Kepka. I started with the guy who won, not the guy who came in second. But the guy who came in second, we'll get his own take a little bit later on. My guest is Jim Trotter. Jim, what's up? Good morning. How are you?
2: Romy, how you doing, man? I Good. love that last one.
0: Dude, you earned that last one. I can't wait to talk to you about that. In fact, it's going to take everything I have not to start with that, but why don't we start, Jim? With the NFL rule changes, they have been one of the big stories of the offseason. What did you make, Jim, of the rule changes when they were first announced?
2: Well, I understood it because the league is, is, is big on player safety right now, and, and they want to um, avoid any legal lawsuits, obviously based on concussion-related issues and whatnot. And so in, in terms of player safety, there's been a big push for that, so we all understood it. Um, the thing that, that's really interesting to me is that as it relates to the lowering the head to initiate contact rule is, um, for instance, Anthony Lynn was one of the, um, a handful of coaches who was in New York during um, that period where they explained this rule to the coaches, to the special teams coaches when they had the special teams meetings, all of that. And he has very specific questions and whatnot, tried to get a clear understanding of exactly what was going on. And we get to the game Saturday night, and I spoke to him afterwards, and there was one instance where he thought his player was clean on a hit, and he ended up being flagged for it. And so he wanted some some clarification from the league again on that. And truly, I think the league would do itself a favor if it came out to not just coaches but the public and explain the thought process behind some of these calls. Because i got to tell you, Jim, um, I was at two games. I've been at two games so far, and in both of them I saw what I thought to be Sort of textbook tackles where the head was up, um, and a flag was thrown.
0: Jim Trotter joining us. So, Jim, when you went to those games and you talked to defensive players, how do they feel about the rule?
2: You know, at this point, they they understand what the league is trying to do, but they feel like they're in a really tough position because look, it's an it's an inherently violent game. We all understand that, but with some of these guys, you're being you're having to be retaught to do something different from the way you've done it since the time you were a youth and in talking to for instance Steve Wilkes the Cardinals coach after he said it's going to take time and he said it's going to start down at the youth level because you've got to start teaching it there you know head up face mask up see what you hit and then it's got to go to the high school level and then the college level and then it flows up to the NFL so you're trying to retrain some of these players to do something that that's really become rote memory for them also so It's going to be a difficult process, and and, and part of this is, look, the league is essentially saying if your head is up, if your face mask hits, whatever it is you're tackling, you're okay. But then you saw in the Cardinals game there was one instance where the safety looked to be in a great position. His head appeared to be up. He made the tackle, and the flag was thrown from behind the play. So there's just a little bit of confusion now. Is the league going to throw more penalty flags in the preseason than it will in the regular season? possibly you know to try and get people's attention and then they'll scale it back but my fear is and and it's not just my fears talking to coaches as well is that at some point in a big game in a big moment where everything is on the line you're going to have a flag thrown for this and there's going to be a lot of, of discussion and debate and emotion about whether it was the right or the wrong call
0: take it from somebody who knows it is really tough to find qualified candidates it takes a long time there's so many applicants At least that's the way it used to be. And then I found out about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter takes that process and makes it so easy. Check this out. ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through their site within the very first day. With results like that, it is no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address ziprecruiter.com slash clones ziprecruiter.com slash clones C-L-O-N-E-S ziprecruiter.com slash clones ziprecruiter the smartest way to hire Jim Trotter joining us All right, Jim one last thought then I mean certainly would behoove the league to clarify this so everybody understands exactly what we're dealing with is clarification going to be enough or do you expect the helmet rule will be changed before the start of the season
2: I don't think it's going to be changed I think it's here to stay Look, the league is serious about player safety now, and and they understand that the game has to change um, to protect these players. When you look at the data in terms of concussions and and how that number is rising, they are concerned and they're serious about this. So for all of us who want to grouse and say this isn't the football we grew up with, we may be right, but it's not going to change. So the best thing that players can do is adjust to this. The question becomes, what are you adjusting to? And how is it being called? They just want consistency, I believe, ultimately, And how this is going to be called. And right now, early on, there doesn't appear to be that consistency.
0: Jim Trotter, NFL writer for NFL Media, joining us right now. All right, Jim, what about the Browns? They have said that their plan has been for Tyrod Taylor to be their starter. I have long maintained, this guy just does not get the respect that he deserves as a player. So what's your sense as to how the Browns are feeling about their quarterback situation, especially after seeing how Baker Mayfield played?
2: No, they feel really good about it. Um, You know, look, they really like Tyrod Taylor, and I know Ty Haley loves him um, and is really excited about coaching him. Uh, For Baker, uh, that was a a really strong debut, you know, and and what I heard from Browns people that I talked to is that, one, Baker's unafraid. You know, when he gets in that pocket, he's not afraid to pull the trigger, and he has ultimate confidence, and they like that. And so – You know, the stage, as one person said to me, wasn't too big for him. The moment wasn't too big, even in his first game. And I know it's a preseason game, but there are little things you see with that. So... Um, they're very excited about their, their situation at quarterback, And and how strange is that, Jim? And we're talking about the Cleveland Browns right. being excited about you know their quarterback position, considering how many quarterbacks they've gone through since the franchise return.
0: How strange. Weirdest thing ever. Jim Trotter joining yeah. us. And Jim, I want to ask you about a piece that you have up about Bobby Beathard. We have a lot of listeners in San Diego on 97.3 The Fan. You've got an excellent piece on the induction of Bobby Beathard into the sure. Hall of Fame and his battle with Alzheimer's. What is your sense as to what that moment meant to him and his family
2: well, I can tell you this it meant an awful lot to his family just because um obviously they like a lot of people felt that this was something that Bobby has deserved for some time. um I can't speak to how much Bobby really ultimately understands the moment um you know, as some family member said to me in his mind he 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 believed he was already in the Hall of Fame from the standpoint of perhaps he conflated two moments where he was inducted into the you know Washington's um, Ring of honor to then coming to Canton several times for inductions for former um, uh, players or coaches that that he was responsible for hiring or drafting. So from that standpoint, if he did conflate those two things, you can see. um, Because he said a couple different times, you know, what's the fuss about? I'm already in. Um, But what it was more for me, Jim, was was an opportunity to kind of step away from football and to see really this this human side – and, and the emotion of this, and, and to see what that disease does to people. You know, Bobby's not the only one obviously going through it. And, um, there are other long time iconic names, in my opinion, in this game who are dealing with this. And, and so, um, I, I'm not gonna lie to you, it was, it was a hard, it was a hard column to write from the standpoint I've known Bobby since, for me, 96 when I started covering the Chargers. And I remember how vibrant, um, his personality was then, um, what a health nut he was in terms of biking and swimming and all those sorts of things. And so to kind of see that taken away from him, and and, and not because he can't do it, but, you know, as his wife said to me at one point, he hasn't been in the water in two years, and it's not because he can't, it's because each day he thinks he's already been in the water. Mm. When she says to him, why don't you go for a swim? And he says, I already already did. And, And he hadn't. So Um, It's tough, but the thing that was good and and the thing I tried to do, at least with that column, was to end on something positive and to hear his family talking about how there was sort of a reawakening in him when he was there because his long-term memory is really good. And so to be around all the guys again and and to see him light up in that way and to to share some of those old stories, um, that was a real positive of the moment.
0: Well done. Jim Trotter joining us. All right, Jim, before I let you go, as I mentioned off the very top, you are serving as a celebrity judge for the <laughs> turf and surf barbecue championship at Del Mar on Sunday. Now, you've had some really nice honors over the course of your career. They're all richly deserved, but where does this one rank among your career highlights?
2: Man, this is awesome, Jim. Cause it's a, a buddy of mine is the one who started as Sean Walship, And, um, and they do a great job out there. And look,
0: who who
2: who who would turn down, who wouldn't be happy to be a judge at a barbecue contest, you know, all you can eat, that sort of thing. So for me it's a chance to support a friend, it's a chance to get some good eats, um, and it's a chance to sort of j just, just get back and, and um you know, be a good community guy. So I invite everyone to come on out to um uh I went last year, it was tremendous, the food is great. And to have an opportunity to, to, to put my stamp on it on, you know, um, which dish I think is the best, I'm excited about it. So it, it, it's awesome. you got to come on down, Romy.
0: I know, right? I'm way overdue for that Del Mar run. I've got to do that. So Jim Trotter, reporter and storyteller for the NFL Network. He's also a Hall of Fame voter. Make sure you know about his book. He's the author of Junior Sale, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. Jim, great to have you back. Appreciate you. Have a great time this weekend.
2: All right, Romy. Thanks for having me, man.
0: Then you have Eldrick Woods. Let me say it right here. I'll say it right here and I'll say it right now. I never thought that I would see that guy in that spot once again. I never thought that I would see that guy show up the way that he did. But he put himself in position with a pair of 66s on Friday and Saturday. But, as I mentioned, doing it on a Sunday in a major is something totally different. Something that he had not done in a long, long time. Like in recent years, if he had worked himself in a contention on Sunday... He would quickly work himself out of contention on Sunday. You know, show up on Sunday morning, get everybody all hyped, and then just implode under the pressure. Because those moments were too big for him. The guy couldn't hang. He would turn in a 75, and then he'd be long gone before the end. But not yesterday. Yesterday was not a 75. Yesterday was a 64. His best Sunday score in a major ever. Yes, you heard that correctly. He just fired his best Sunday score in a major ever, and that was his first top five in a major in five years. His final three rounds was the lowest 54-hole score in a major in his career, ever, by four shots. I mean, like, this guy did things this week that he has never done before, not even in his prime. And there have been moments where I never thought that I would see that ever again. And the fact is, I'm still not even sure That I did see it. Did I really see Tiger Woods with eight birdies in the final round of a major? What year is this? I half expected to turn on the radio during that back nine and hear Matchbox 20 or Vertical Horizon. But no, it's 2018. And the crowd was lit. The crowd was roaring like they had never roared before. You know, back in the day, that was like the sound of eventual victory that was the sound of dominance this time it was the sound of could this really be happening could this guy really do this I mean they were willing him on and he was responding I mean that was like a love fest a love fest between a player and a gallery that we haven't seen in a long long time now don't get me wrong there's nothing more annoying than Tiger fans, especially when he's struggling and they're trying to convince themselves that he is back, but yesterday's gallery was pretty freaking awesome, and so was the cat. The cat was unbelievable, and the guy did it without his best game. The guy fought it the entire way, and whereas he would have lost that fight in previous majors, he didn't yesterday, This guy was a blocked tee shot on 17 away from making things really, really interesting. It was an amazing performance. Again, I never thought that I would see that guy in that position doing that ever again. For the first time in years, that red shirt on a Sunday in a major wasn't just some clown suit. It wasn't some costume. That was the real deal. And that guy nearly did it. He nearly did it, and the fact that he nearly did it tells you he can probably do it again. That he really could come all the way back and win a major. Something I never thought possible. But it doesn't mean you should pencil him in for a major or three next year. Not when you've got fields with the likes of Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth. And that's just the Americans. And there's no guarantee that his body won't break down in some fluke range accident. The guy is going to be 43 in December. He's had countless surgeries. His back, his neck, his knee, his Achilles, any or all of those things could go any minute. But what I saw yesterday was something I never thought that I would see again. I also never thought that I would see him celebrate finishing in second the way he did yesterday. The old Tiger would have been pissed beyond belief that he came that close and was unable to finish. But this guy was going all out after that birdie putt dropped on 18 yesterday. Which leads me to another thing that I never thought that I would see or say. But is it possible this guy's actually likable now? Because in that post-round interview, he seemed almost likable. I mean, I seriously can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think I like this guy. I think I really am starting to like this guy. See, here's the thing. We don't know anybody, and we certainly didn't know Tiger the first time around. But I got to say, I'm really starting to like the guy because he's getting humanized. He seems different. He's not that surly, arrogant, robotic guy who's short with his answers. You're not waiting for a wire to pop or a fuse to blow. I mean, the guy's laughing. He's being human. He seems like he's really enjoying things. I mean, that's enjoyable. But, but, let's pump the brakes on one thing. This whole notion that Tiger Woods winning another major would be the greatest comeback in golf history. You know, I hate to be the big buzzkill on that, but that's not true either. Ben Hogan was literally, I mean, literally hit by a bus. And this guy came back to win six more majors. So bouncing your car off a tree and then a fire hydrant is tame compared to getting wrecked and dragged by a bus. But it would still be an amazing comeback. It would still be an amazing comeback, and it's something that I never thought that he would be in position to do, something I never thought that I would see, and it was awesome to see. Hard not to get caught up in that. Everybody was except Kepka. And after what I saw yesterday... Uh, Not only did I think that I would never see it, I will say it's possible. It could happen. This guy could win another major. He's not running down Jack, but he could win another major. As promised, we're joined right now by a two time Super Bowl champ, an All Pro, a four time Pro Bowler, an author. He is a media mogul. Trevor Price is my guest. Trevor, good morning. What's up? How are you? What's up, man? How are you, Jim? I'm doing great, Trevor. Great to talk to you. You know, I hate to start with you on such a somber note, but I want to get to this, and I was waiting for you to come on before I address this story. Starting with the University of Maryland football program, Trevor reports that have come out since the death of offensive lineman Jordan McNair. I've got to first get your thoughts. What was your reaction when you first heard about the passing of the young man after he collapsed during a workout in May?
3: My, my first thought was, I know Jordan McNair. Mm. I, I live in Maryland. Um, I live in Howard County, and my kids go to the same school with him. Uh, it's called McDonald's School. It's a private school in the city. And my daughter, Kari, him and Jordan, her and Jordan are the same age in the same class. Kari went to his birthday party, Jordan been there has been to my home. So I heard about it before it kind of got to the media because I know the football coaches and whatnot. And so, shock. Is the first thing you, you hear about, you hear somebody that happens, it's like, you know, and, and my wife was friends with Corey Stringer. So I've been through this twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the shock of knowing that kid and the sadness and you start there and then you start to unpack and it's like okay what happened how did this happen and you want to think the best of it you want you, you don't want to uh, assume the worst that they have, you know they have basically abused the kid until he, until he died right um, but it's come out that that's happened and and there's two parts of it there's a part dealing with Jordan I'll get to that in a second but the part that's really missed me is Maryland as a football program having uh, a bully culture and a, uh, a, a culture of fear. Where do you get off Maryland football doing that? I don't understand that part. Success, success breeds that. So Nick Saban is a football coach. Nick Saban doesn't have to run anybody to death. Nick Saban looks at his players a certain way. They're likely to have a heart attack. You see what I'm saying? That's the real fear. Everybody's scared of Nick Saban because there is a, a success there. A few years ago, Maryland's football team was so bad, they were drawing 6,000 people a game. I had to get rid of the men's tennis team, the swimming and diving team, and track and field because nobody was going to the football games and they couldn't afford it.
1: Hmm.
3: Where does Maryland, and believe me, I'm a supporter of their school. There's a kid, a kid on the football team lives up the street from me. My next-door neighbor's daughter went to Maryland. I live in Maryland. My, my middle daughter loves wearing Maryland socks. I'm a supporter of the state of Maryland and, their, and the school. But where do you get off? Where do you find that? that you have to uh, have a culture of intimidation and bullying. So Nobody's
0: scared of your football team. Let me let me ask how you this. You, how is this happening? So Trevor Price, my guest. Trevor, the reports that came out were that strength and conditioning coach was throwing small weights and objects at athletes. Players were being belittled. They were having their masculinity questioned. In an incident where one player alleged another player was belittled after passing out during a drill, this is essentially what you're talking about. What's your reaction to all of that? I mean, is, is that a Maryland thing, or is that going on in other places? I,
3: absolutely, absolutely. Actually, Maryland, I played professional football for 14 years. I played for two colleges, two blue blood programs. I played for Michigan and I played for Clemson. I've never seen that. Now, here's the thing: if you want to change the culture at Maryland, that's fine. If you want a, a, a culture of toughness and all that, that's fine. You berate Jordan, right? If he can't finish the 110, and you want to yell at him, fine. Yell at him as he's walking inside. Yell at him as he's walking towards it. Yell at him as he's walking towards the training room to go get help. Don't do it after he has passed out and he can't hold his head up. I don't understand it. it you want to hear the worst thing, Jim? I'm about to say something that's going to shock up that's going to hurt a lot of people. Jordan Minair was recruited by every school in this part of the country. North Carolina, Penn State, whatever, whatever. Jordan Minair's parents don't have another child. He's their only one. If Jordan Minair had went to Penn State, he'd still be alive. Listen to how that sounds. Mm. Listen to how that sounds as a parent, right? That is like – that's the worst thing I can ever say about a football team, about any team, about anything. If my son had picked a different school to go to for free to get an education to play football, he'd still be alive. And, and, and look, Jim, I don't like calling for people's jobs. I don't want anybody calling for mine. But DJ Durkin will get another football job after he is fired. He's going to be fired. Jordan McNair will not. That is a problem.
0: Trevor a Price thing. is my guest. I mean, Trevor, I mean, it's really – the whole thing is just so, so disturbing. What about Durkin? He's been placed on leave, and you just mentioned this. Should he be allowed to return or to hear what you were just saying? Should that be the end of his time as a head coach, period?
3: In, in college, yes, it will be. 100%. Give me another team who's going to hire him. Oh, you're the guy that, that, you know, the kid died in your watch. Because, Jim, you know recruiting and how kids come, you know, a dad, a dad has to look at a a, a, a Florida State football coach, Bobby Bowden, came to my house and said, "Mr. Price, if your son comes to my school, I'm gonna take care of him." My son came to your school. Where's my son? Right? So he will he will not coach in in college football. He will, he can coach in NFL. He can be a wide receiver coach in NFL. That's a different business. The the part that missed me, honestly, Jim, have you, have you watched the SEC thing about Alabama and Nick Saban and their coaching staff? Sure. There's the a thing in the middle where, where Nick, Saban, Nick Saban walks in the staff and everybody again. The man will kill you with a look, right? There are 70 people in that room, coaches. And I'm sure Maryland does the same thing. They have a bunch of people. There's not just one wide receiver coach. There's three wide receiver coach. There's not one offensive line coach. There's six of them, right? Nobody saw Jordan was struggling except for the players. None of you grown men said, hey, get that kid inside. We'll deal with him tomorrow. But don't, don't get to the point, and then the hour between the time he passed out the time they called 911. What in God's name were you doing? Hmm. Trevor so, Price. So I, and again, I get I, I like this because I, I do the kid. I lived to I've talked to Jordan, myself, with my own mouth, with my own eyes. Hey, Jordan, what's up? How are you, Mr. Price? Kid never said much.
0: Hmm.
3: Sure. And, this is, and this is where we landed? Listen. If he didn't went to any other school, we'd still be alive
0: address this, and again, let's never confuse. I'm going to pose this question. This is not my feeling, but you know, Trevor, you know there will be fans. You know there will be even be some coaches who claim that players and staff members complaining about this type of an environment are whiners, that they're soft, that they're not winners. I'm sure you've heard that. What do you make of that argument?
3: Well, okay, the, the argument of, for instance, I can give you, I can give you a, a firsthand account of it. I, I transferred from Michigan to Clemson because Michigan was way too hard. But let me tell you what happened, Jim. At no point did it ever run me to the point I was going to pass out. Never. So it's not about being soft. It's about being safe, right? If it, I failed the conditioning test my freshman year Michigan. Never forget it. You have to run a nine and a half, 11 minutes, which is impossible. But a lot of guys did it. I couldn't do it. And know what they didn't do? When I didn't make it, they made me stop. They said, well, you're going to do it tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And that's fine. But they never – like, push yourself – and i want to drag you across the finish line. That never happened. That never happened. Now, I think what needs to happen now, and I think it's going to happen, If you, I watch a lot of soccer, right? So if you watch a lot of MLS games or even English Premier League games, you see all the players have a hump in their back because they're all wearing a bra. And that bra takes, takes stock of their body temperature, how much they run, what their vitals are, and they, they wear it. All the soccer players wear it. And how I don't know why football players don't wear it, especially wearing pads and all that type of thing, I don't know. But I think that thing's coming or a school like Alabama that can afford it for all 95 of their players, that's going to be required wearing. So we can monitor all of them. Because the culture of football is to just suck it up and get through it. That's fine. But at some point, we have to stop you from yourself. Right? We have to stop you. And, and nobody stopped Jordan. Right. So I, I, I'm trying to I, – Jim, I don't, want, I don't want to talk like this about the sport that I grew up playing, loving, and giving my, my life. But what they did was ass backwards and ass wrong. And they
0: know it. Trevor Price, two-time Super Bowl champion and all-pro, a four-time Pro Bowler. He is an author, as I mentioned, a media mogul as well, doing a lot of work in Hollywood and elsewhere. Trevor, I wish we had more time, but I'll find a way for you and I to get together again soon. And we'll talk about some more things, but I really appreciate your thoughts on that. A very disturbing story. And nice to have you back, Trevor. Thank you very much. Uh, Absolutely, man. But what I now know that I did not know when I got to Wisco is I needed to have a plan. Now, I thought that I had a plan. You need to go into a situation like that with a real plan. I thought I had a plan, but you know what they say about that? Wasn't it Mike Tyson? Didn't Mike Tyson have that famous saying about a plan? Everybody's got a plan until they jam five pancakes down their face. Go to my Instagram page. If you haven't seen that yet, and I'm not looking to do that just to get you to follow along, although you should follow along. Go to my Instagram page, and you can see how that trip sets up and the kind of food that I ate. Like, I'm looking at it myself right now. Go to my Instagram account. The first picture, well, the first picture is of the Smack Shack. That's in the Minneapolis airport. But my first Wisco picture is this beautiful, serene lake. It's Cranberry Lake. And I'm just trying to set the stage. Wow, Wisco's amazing. Like, I'm a California native, and I've seen some pretty amazing lakes in Cali, but nothing like this. I mean, these lakes in Wisconsin all live up to the hype. But then the grub started. Then it was on. Picture number one, cheese curds, lots of cheese curds, a super fat bloody Mary to the left, a spotted cow to the right, cheese curds right there in the middle. Then it was on, off and running. Very next pick, big fat pancakes. And every one of these restaurants, every one of these diners, they all have a story, they all have a dish, and the locals can't wait to get you to every single one of them. Never mind that there's an hour wait to get into all of them. So cheese curds to gigantic pancakes. And the third picture I have up is like this scramble with hash browns and rye toast. And at that point, my post is something along the lines of, I got to get the hell out of here. I have to get the hell out of Wisconsin. So to answer your question, did I get fat? Hell yes, I got fat.
2: Fat boy, how many you got, baby?
0: I mean, I'm feeling like I gained a pound an hour while I was there. And I'm telling you, man, they come on faster and easier as you get older than ever before. And they're tougher and tougher to get off, especially when you try and get them off at altitude the way I did. I mean, you're all about it. Look at these emails. Hey, Rome, while you were gone, your guest host did the heavy lifting. Now that you're back, all do the heavy lifting. Regards, Rome's scale. Stephen PHX, War Rome, having Paula Dean on today to discuss her favorite hash brown recipes. Go ahead, Alvin, bring it on. It's fair. I wonder if we can get to PD to talk hash browns. As far as me, as far as regards Rome scale, that would imply that I got on Rome scale. Rome's not getting anywhere near Rome scale anytime soon because Rome already knows. With the NFL season coming up, got to uh, slam into some suits. I'm going to be walking around SoCal today looking for guys who do lipo out of their back trunks. Yo, man, cut me. Cut me, Mick. Cut me, Mick. This says, war Rome, Inhaling all those cheese curds, pancakes, and beer brats while vacationing in fat Wisconsin. Signed, cankles. Matt in Tucson, forgot about the brats. You can't go anywhere. Bring it on, Alvin. It's fair, man. It's fine and it's fair. Can't go anywhere without a brat. Or can't go anywhere and not run into a brat. I want to say the last brat, legitimate brat, real bratwurst that I had, was tailgating before the NFC Championship game back in the day at Lambeau. I mean, I'm talking about a real brat, a legitimate bratwurst. I don't think I had one in 20 freaking years. I don't think I went 20 hours in Wisconsin without having one. Every day. I don't know, man. You get there and you become one of them. And there's no getting around it. Dear Jim, we are delighted to know that you enjoyed both your vacation and your culinary excursion to America's Dairyland. Though we did not get a chance to meet up on this trip... Maybe our paths will cross the next time around. Take care. All the best. The cardiology team at UW-Madison Hospital. Signed, Caleb, in Green Bay. War cholesterol. Nice to know the folks there are waiting for us. Man, it was tough. Man, you're all about it, right? Hey, Rome, welcome back. The one question we have after your visit to Wisconsin, did you get fat? Fat. We know the temptation. Of guzzling cheese and sitting in trees is their national pastime. Just making sure you're okay. Sign the clones. Chris, no longer in St. Pete. War outside sales. War Wisconsin clone stalker nation. Didn't get stalked. Did get fat. It's inevitable. I mean, what are you going to do? Once again, once again, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. I've tried for years. You cannot out-exercise a bad diet. And last week, I had the worst diet ever. Actually, last week wasn't that bad. One more pic on that Instagram page. When we finally left Madison and went to Colorado and went to Aspen, the first thing I did was get a big pile of kale to try and undo the damage that I had done the week before in Wisco. I've got a feeling it's going to take a hell of a lot longer than one week to undo that damage. I mean, totally different look and feel to this year's Rome summer vacation. And I've given you a taste. One more email. And remember, next hour is busy. You want to call right now. I've got Trevor Price coming up next hour. Former MLB great Dale Murphy coming up next hour. This email reads, Whoa, Jimmy. Hawk is the first dude that I've ever seen to look weirder without his porn stash than when he was actually rocking it. Please tell him to grow that dirt back on his lip pronto. Were you coming back to the studio and shouting at him, Cat boy, cat boy, cat what's, boy good, baby? You got, baby? what's good baby? Cat boy. War Tiger making Kepka's girl sweat more after the final round yesterday than Brooks did during it. <laughs> good one Jed <laughs> that's pretty good Jed <laughs> yeah I don't think Brooks is sweating that in fact that's my whole take about Kepka. this guy did not sweat anything this dude is a monster two majors this year three in the last 14 months three in the last six again from one tour victory to the Hall of Fame in 14 months What's more impressive, that? I got a poll question for you. Put it up on the internet. A poll question. San Diego. Now listen, what's more impressive? A guy going from one tour win to the Hall of Fame in 14 months, or a guy going from not being able to pick up a bat to being within one shot of a major on the back nine a year later. I mean, it was not that long ago that Tiger Woods was talking to the cops, unaware of what state he was in. And now this guy is competing on a Sunday for a major. Because what's nothing about Tiger. The one thing that everybody kept cracking him for, myself included, is this guy can't shoot low on a Sunday. He can't shoot low on a Sunday in a major. So this guy's never going to win. Well, he shot 64 on a Sunday in a major and had a real good look at it. And, of course, since I'm owning it, in owning how much grub I slammed down my goat the Canadians are in. Tyler in Edmonton. He tweets, I didn't believe you, so I tuned into the show on TV, and for a second, I actually thought Caleb was guest hosting. Yeah, I'm owning it. You can't hide. You can't hide. I'm in front of cameras, right? That's what I feel like. That's what I sound like. That's what I look like. I'll take care of it now. I'll take care of it. Yeah, I'll say this. I don't even know what the number is because like I said, I didn't get near the Rome scale. I just know this. It used to be that I could pick up 10 and I could drop 10 pretty quickly. Now I can pick up 10 and it's tough to get rid of it. Oh, are you kidding? You want to know what my life is? My life used to be about gaining five every weekend and losing five the entire week. I would do that every single weekend. I mean, that was just par for the course. That was standard operating procedure. Get to the weekend. Go hard get to Monday, go even harder. The other way. So, Tyler in Edmonton's in. Matt in Vancouver is in. Next vacation, up here to balance you out. That's fair, too. And, Matt, I've been to Vancouver, not in a long time. But, in fact, before we had kids, Janet and I went to Vancouver. Man, that is a beautiful town. Beautiful town. Beautiful city. I might take you up on that, Matt. We are joined right now by Dale Murphy, Dale, it is so great to have you back on the show. How are you?
1: Oh, thanks, Jim. Doing great. Great to be back on with you. Thank you.
0: Dale, it's so good to have you. And I'm doing this because a few weeks back, Wright Thompson of ESPN wrote a great piece on you and your family. And there's so many things I want to talk to you about because you're Dale Murphy and you mean so much to so many people. But the piece talks about you being one of the best grandfathers, one of the best babysitters. (laughs) Bring me up to date. How is your life and what's it like being a grandfather and a babysitter right now?
1: Well, it's the best, and uh, the response to the article, first of all, Jim, is is truly, as I said on Twitter, it's been overwhelming. Uh, Wright Thompson just hit some really tender notes with our family and with uh, Braves fans, you know, just uh, the old days. You know, he hit the nail on the head. They were some TBS kids back in the day, and so we had a great experience with him and and reliving, uh, you know, the – great memories from uh, being on TBS back in the day with the Braves. Uh, as far as being a grandpa, Jim, I, it, you know, I, and everybody knows this once they become a grandpa, but you're always a little reluctant because it sounds so, you know, man, I, I'm going to be a grandpa. I'm going to be old, but the best way to put it is, is like being a DH, I think, <laughs> I, you know, you, you get to have all the fun. Don't have to play any defense. And, uh, we're blessed with some amazing kids and some amazing grandkids. And, uh, Uh, It's just the best. Really, uh, really thankful.
0: Dale Murphy, joining us on the show. You know, you mentioned TBS, and I can remember what that was like because I'm in that same generation. And in that ESPN piece, there's this concept of Generation Murph, that there are tens of thousands of kids who fell in love with baseball watching you on TBS. Dale, you're a really humble guy, but what does Generation Murph mean to you? And what does it mean to you to know the impact that you add on so many households?
1: Oh, Jim! I'll tell you. You know, while you're in the midst of your career, and even a few years, uh, you know, a, a few years after retiring, you you don't really realize. And now, the older I get, the more I travel around. I I, I just it, it's hard to put into words. And I think uh, you know, I think Wright did a did a great job of putting it into words. I I just I the 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 reaction is overwhelming. People just from literally all over the country um, when cable. When, when Ted Turner decided to put us on on cable every day, and then sometimes even twice a day, um, that exposure, you know, we got to the playoffs once, but people just, I, and I always credit uh, Skip Carey and, and Ernie Johnson and Pete Van Weren with bringing a hometown broadcast. Uh, they really knew us, they traveled with us. It wasn't a a weekly national broadcast where they didn't know us and people just related to that team and people consistently asked me about the whole starting lineup. And, and, you know, we were only in the playoffs one year, but that, that exposure and that opportunity to to see us and, uh, was, was, is just an overwhelming feeling now as I get older and people share stories about And I'll tell you, Jim, most of the time it's, I watched with my dad or my mom and I'll tell you so many times it's, I watched you guys every day with my grandparents and, uh, And they just say how great a memory it was. and It it is overwhelming. I'm very, very fortunate to have been a part of that.
0: We're talking to Dale Murphy. You know, Dale, you talk about baseball in such a manner, and it's so generational, right? It's fathers passing the game on to their sons. You know, but there seems to be, Dale, this feeling and sense in some quarters that baseball is just falling behind and maybe its time has passed. What is your reaction when you hear that?
1: I think we're a little slow to react to some of the changes in, in, in viewing habits of young people. I, I, I think that you know we're not going to go back to the old days of cable and TBS but we, uh, m- maybe we've rested on our laurels a little bit. This is such a competitive situation now with having more young kids see, see the game and get exposed to it that it's it's just a very I, I think marketing of baseball is probably one of the most challenging things that, that, uh, someone in that business could think of. How do you, how do you market this game that is relatively slow? And with the numbers, it sounds like it's getting a little slower with high strikeout rates, et cetera. So you really got some challenges. I, I think, um, I think we're going to be okay, but there, there's no questions. Att- attendance is down a little bit. People are using the word boring to describe us. Uh, we got to figure out how to market. The, the, you know, make it fun again. But I say make it cool again. There are some really cool things about baseball that just need the exposure. We need to be creative, and we need to spend a lot of money. Quite frankly, uh, we we, we got to do that to to compete for the young people of this generation. I mean, there there's so much going on. They got esports. They got soccer. They 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 can. They're watching everything on their phone. It's just a different time, and we we got to figure that out, how to how to market this game and the great aspects of it.
0: Dale Murphy joining us on the show. Now, Dale, how about the concept of marketing and how it relates to Mike Trout? You know, the commissioner was talking about it's kind of hard to market a guy who's not helping us market himself. Where do you come out on that? I mean, does Mike Trout have any responsibility to do more than he's currently doing, or does that fall upon somebody else?
1: Well, I think he does, Like, but – I think he has some responsibility. I, I think he does market the game within the context of, uh, you know, his personality and the way he approaches the game. I, I think Jim all takes us some creativity. I think you can do that within the context of who he is. I think you could have some hilarious and some really funny commercials accentuating the fact, uh, the, the, the fact that he is kind of low-key. You know, um, uh, just take that and figure out how to, how to do that and do it within something he's comfortable with. Um, you know, pay him the right amount of money that will will interest him, pay that money to his charity. Um, we We got casual baseball fans, good baseball fans, I'd say casual fans that don't know who he is. And that's a concern. But baseball inherently, because the nature of the sport is tough to market, it's going to take some real creativity. But, you know, there's – you know, I, I love Mike Trout. I can relate to him. I, I I know he's not a self-promoter, but I think it still can be done in a way that he'd be comfortable with. And we we just need people all over this country to know who he is.
0: Dale Murphy joining us, no doubt about that. I mean, here in Southern California, we get a chance to watch him every single night. I mean, the guy is Mickey Mantle, in a sense, and more people need to know that. Everybody should know that who loves the sport. Now, Dale, in terms of your career, you're going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame through the Eras Committee. How much does it matter to you, Dale, and do you feel like you've earned it and something is missing if you don't get in?
1: Well, I've I've always said that to get in, I think one of the prerequisites Got to be that you think you belong. So I, I think there's a spot in in there for me. I knew it would take a while. Um, no, I you know I I'll have to be honest with you, Jim. I don't I don't I, I I I would love to be a part of it. I don't think I'll, I'll miss out on anything if it, it doesn't happen. I mean, it's not going to be a major disappointment. Uh, I know where I'm at, uh, and I will say this: I thank the the Hall of Fame for changing some things to give guys like me a little more consideration. And, uh, you know, Alan, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris and the, the new uh, Eric committees, the way they're considered, I think a lot of us that were involved in the 70s and 80s are going to get talked about a lot more and debated and, and have another chance. So I'm grateful for that. I, I'm just grateful for, you know, where I'm at, and we'll see what happens.
0: Dale Murphy, my guest. Dale, i got to ask you, is there any part of you that thinks, you know, if I did everything that I did without the benefit of performance-enhancing drugs, can you imagine what kind of numbers I could have put up if I did use, or can you simply not imagine yourself using at all?
1: Well, you you know, I I can't imagine myself using. I will tell you this, Jim, that there are a lot more things that are available that are legitimate that, that, uh, you know, I mean, the guys just train better generally. I can remember in the early 80s, we started talking, hey, maybe we should start lifting weights <laughs> you know, because wow. Wow. It, was just, it, it just wasn't part of it. The, the, the concept of getting too tight and too muscular was part of uh, our training. And then we started figuring out, hey, this is a, a big advantage. So, you know, I, th- those, those kind of things are, are just with technology and these guys train better, they eat better. Uh, everything is, better. I mean, the, 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 their clubhouse, you know this, Jim, their, their new clubhouses, the lighting is, uh, scientifically designed to release, to, to relieve stress and to encourage rest and they have nap rooms, you know, in the, I mean, they got a lot of things that are very helpful and they train better. Uh, I don't ever really think about, you know, the, the the, the the steroids, as far as I'm concerned, and ever taking them, um, you know, I think uh, I think we were just part of a generation that didn't understand, it, in some aspects, just general training methods. We we didn't have the technology yet. Uh, we had a you know a little Nautilus thing, uh, Nautilus weightlifting thing in in the uh, in the locker room that we hardly used. We didn't get it. We didn't know, and so um, you know. Uh, but I don't think about. About you know what would have happened with the steroids, I I just it never entered my mind. I just wanted to do things the right way.
0: God, Dale, I hate to age both you and me, but I, I remember those conversations. I remember the, the concept that don't be lifting because you don't want to bulk out and then you'll lose flexibility and then, quote, Nautilus machines coming in. I remember all of that so well. You <laughs> mentioned that you're on Twitter, which I love. You also blog quite a bit from DaleMurphy.com, and you've been a Little League coach and you've blogged about that. I've got to know, what was that experience like for you?
1: <laughs> well, very humbling. Uh, I, I said in the blog that uh, – you know, I, I, I didn't win every game. We, we got blown out sometimes, and that's what I like to tell parents. Remember that uh, you're going to make some mistakes out there, but just remember it's not about you, and it's hard to do. I think the the main thing I wanted to tell parents was that I've been there. I get it. I know you want to win. and uh, But we constantly need to be reminded that, this is about the experience for the kids and, and you need to remind it you need to be reminded of that every time you go out and coach these kids. Because, you know, I've been out there on third base and our teams getting ten run, and you know, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what are these people thinking about a, a, a former major league player, you know, not being able to coach this game? I you take things personally and it's never ever about you. You really have to remind yourself of that.
0: We're talking to Dale Murphy for a few more moments. You know, Dale, you're so progressive in your thoughts. As a lot of people know, you are a huge music guy. So, how do you approach that? I mean, do you get nostalgic and listen to those things that you used to listen to, or do you try to listen to the new stuff? What are you listening to these days?
1: Well, um, uh, I got, I got. Well, I, you know, I love. As everybody knows, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Wilco fan and, and Jason Isbell fan and and so many. But right now, yeah, sometimes I go back, but I i try to stay current my kids keep me current uh i'm so thankful i gotta say this i'm so thankful but i i wish i had discovered john prine earlier in my years but i'm thankful at 62 i discovered john prine i've been listening to john a lot the last uh month uh a new group i'm listening to uh jim that uh, uh well i I'll, i really like lord huron i think they got some great stuff and uh a new group from Australia, Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. I know it sounds a little out there, but these guys are really, really good. I really enjoy
0: them. What a great resume. Two-time National League MVP, seven-time All-Star, but of course a much better person than even a player. Dale, I, I would take any opportunity that I could to get caught up with you, but I'm so glad that I saw that piece on ESPN and it read brilliantly and it's so good to have you back on the show. Dale, I appreciate you and it's great to talk baseball with you once again.
1: Thanks, Jim. Anytime. Love to talk to you and always love to listen to you. Thanks a lot.
0: Fall City. Liz. Liz, what's going on?
1: Hey, Jim. Your vacation sounded
2: phenomenal. And hopefully I can make it to Clone Stock and get to Green Bay to meet all these guys. I wanted to talk to you about DA filling in for you. He did such a
1: great job. And he was also on Woodscope Friday and said that you need to go on, too. But let's get to Tiger. All the action was not on the course, but off the course. Let me tell you, Brooks' lady was getting herself an eyeful of some tiger candy. Let me tell you, she was looking at him the way Dane Cook looks at a Krispy Kreme donut when he's been out of the country for a year. Woohoo, Meow! Anyway, Jim, glad to have you back. We're the woods Gopes. We're you, and I'm out.
0: Andy is going to take her shot. Let's find out. Andy, first of all, it is very nice to meet you. You're on the air. Andy, how are you? Yeah.
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Andy. What's on your mind? What's going on? What What uh, motivates you uh, to call? Very
1: good. Um, I called because I like you.
0: <laughs> you like what? I don't know. I like your voice. Okay. Are you getting help in the background?
3: Um...
0: Andy, <laughs> Andy, are you this by any really chance weird. nervous? I like You like what? My basil. Okay, why don't you pick her up, uh, Hawk? Andy likes her basil. Good night now! We've got all the news right here. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there.
3: I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chicken intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you
0: got this. Wake up breakfast.
3: Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.